0: Scottish Paranormal Podcast, I'm your host Chris, and here we'll be delving into the multitude of strange occurrences that happen within Scotland and beyond. You can contact us with your accounts at the Scottish Paramount Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on all social media channels, and you can contact us by either means. On tonight's episode, we have Hazel Stewart on the show, author and researcher of Robert Kirk. Tonight we delve into the legend of Robert Kirk, the real Robert Kirk, and mixed phenomena. So we'll just like to get right in it now and we'll welcome Hazel onto the show. Right, so I'd just like to welcome Hazel onto the show. So hi Hazel, how are you doing tonight? All right?
1: Hi, fantastic. You?
0: Yeah, good thanks. Good thanks. Um, so obviously you're an author and researcher and you're looking into uh, Robert Kirk. You're quite a good way through just about finishing a book on, on Robert Kirk. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. So, um, so. You know, I've as we had a bit of discussion before, I've got our interest in Robert Kirk to the fact that the paranormal aspect here, it. Um, and I know you were you're writing a book in the kind of historical aspect here it and, and things like that. So um I know we can kind of had a bit of discussion on um the paranormal aspect of it. And I know it was maybe the paranormal aspect was near your your bag and what's happening now and stuff. But I was gonna refer you to some of the stuff about like Jack Vallée um and John Keel, because quite a lot of the the researchers um, of the day, and maybe people who have researched, maybe from like the sixties and stuff, always refer back to Robert Kirk. Um, quite a lot is to do with fairy lore, or just maybe phenomena in general. So it would be good to get a, a good handle on um, going back to actually the legend that most people kind of find out. You know what I mean? The, the, the kind of short legend you find online between the fairy lore, and then actually to move on to find out who he was and stuff like that. Um, for there, because it's, I think everybody probably who wants to go and find out Robert Kirk just finds the initial kind of fairy story and it's kind of left there. And maybe the, people would know he wrote The Secret Commonwealth and stuff like that. So it'd be interesting to find out what the kind of actual story was. So if you want to kind of even start with a bit of this, what is the actual um, legend that you hear online, if you could maybe discuss a wee bit about that to uh, start off with.
1: Okay. Um, because I grew up in the village. Um, I um, know the story very well, but it's um, primarily an oral retelling and and, and probably each household has a slightly different telling of it because of that background and the way it's developed. So um, uh, every summer it's a tourist village, it's a very small village in Scotland and it has a lot of tourists. So um, growing up there, there's tourists asking you all the time what the story is, and you have to remember off the top of your head. (laughs) So I used to get quite good at it by the end of the summer, but (laughs) um, uh, there's little bits and pieces that would, other people would say, oh, you forgot that bit or whatever, and you think, oh, how does that fit again? So I've sort of written down um, the version that that I had collated, um, which there may be people from Aberfoyle who comment below and say, oh, no, there was this bit and you forgot which I fully expect, actually, but it's just because of the way that it's developed as an oral tradition over the 350 years, roughly, since Robert Kirk went missing. So um, he was the minister of our village and um, he went missing in 1692 on the 14th of May. And the the legend has just gone on from there. So on the edge of the village, there's um, a fairy hill or people call it the fairy hill. Uh, And it's believed to be hollow and inhabited by fairies.
0: Is this is it Dune Hill the name it?
1: Dune Hill, that's right. Yeah, (laughs) Um, it's got it's quite a distinctive looking hill because it's all deciduous trees, so the sort that the leaves fall off every year. And then right on the top, there's a pine tree that stands proud of the other trees. Um, And that that pine tree, the legend sort of goes around that. So. It is said that he um, <clears throat> dropped his walking stick when he was at that point on the hill and it grew into the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and that that's probably supposed to be at the time where he was first first t- uh, taken by the fairies, I suppose, or first disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always remembered as the the Reverend Kirk the Fairy Minister. And Although he disappeared, there you can go to Aberfoyle and go in the old graveyard, which is up Mance Road, towards the you pass it if you were going up to the Fairy Hill, which is quite well uh signposted.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if, if you went into that little old graveyard and there's a, a his old, well, an old church there, which actually wouldn't have been his old church, There would have been a predated one from before, that's a newer one, even yeah. though it's still very old. And just to the side of that is his gravestone. Um and they say it's full of stones it's not his, his body was never recovered however some households say that a, a body was recovered but it was a fairy version of the, the body
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and we can go into what that means later on <laughs> uh, so there, there's it's very ambiguous whether there's anything in there or not um so he, he was said to be a seventh son this is what people remember um he was a seventh son which means he was you know he had six older brothers obviously doesn't matter whether he had sisters or not i don't think it's just a seventh son <laughs> and this meant, in fo- fairy folklore it means that you've got the second sight so you can you can see things that other people can't see whether they're right. fairies or aliens or ghosts or whatever they might be mm-hmm. that's how that's how it's um it's a traditional part of fairy lore really mm-hmm. um so they say that he went he, he had a dog uh, he lived up towards the, the fairy hill and he had a dog and he took it up for a walk on that, that hill or around that area every day and um, on these walks he obviously must have come across some fairies uh, and they're really secretive kind of creatures so they probably run away or they they wisped away or whatever they did mm-hmm. um, but he, they obviously got caught out and, and realised that he could, he could see them and he got chatting to them and he found out all sorts of things about them. That's what they say. So they, they, they let all their secrets out to this man. They, they, they trusted him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he went home and he wrote all this stuff down in a book, in a diary um, that he found out. And but he, was, he promised them he wouldn't say a word to anyone. This was a secret. He wasn't going to let it out. Mm-hmm. However, he went back on his promise And he published it as a book is what's in the um in in the legend yeah he went he went against them and to get back at him the fairies kidnapped him so this must have happened on the 14th of May uh, 1692 that's when he first went missing um so they held him prisoner inside this fairy hill and presumably they they captured him at the top and that's where his walking stick fell Mm -hmm. And the dog ran back, panicked, and raised the alarm back at the manse. Um, they say that his wife was expecting a baby. So this this baby in due time, due course, the, the baby arrived, and um, he hadn't been seen since. So they had a christening for the baby. And the night before the christening, uh, Aberfell's not a very big place, but a, a few miles up into the forest is, is uh, Dukhry Castle. Mm-hmm. And the lo- uh, lords at Dukhry Castle the the Graham family, that would be, they they actually um, owned quite a a lot of, well, they still do, a lot of land around that area, different parts of the Graham family.
2: Mm
1: But the Grahams at Ducray Castle were said to be his cousins. Um, And apparently the night before he appeared at the end as a sort of fairy or a ghost at the end of his cousin's bed at Ducray Castle and said, "Um, I'm going to appear at at the christening tomorrow I'm held as uh, uh, trapped by fairies in fairyland, and the only way that they've given me a reprieve because I'm becoming a dad, perhaps. And um, if you pass your knife over my head because it's made of iron, it will free me from fairyland. We have to do this in front of the congregation at this at the christening. So he, um, the, the cousin, got up, went to the christening, um, and um, actually it was a big christening, but we'll get into that as well. Um, so the, the whole village would have been there. And apparently Robert Kirk, in a sort of fairy form, so he wasn't quite himself, walked into the church and stood before his cousin, and the cousin did nothing. He just, everyone just froze. And then after a minute or so, nothing happening, Robert Kirk, or the vision of Robert Kirk, walked back out through a different door
2: mm-hmm.
1: and was never never seen again. Um, Graham just said that it, he was asked, why did you not do what you said you were going to do and he said oh i, I was just too shocked i couldn't i couldn't do anything um so uh, even today uh yeah so, so you kind of disappeared twice really with the fairies but even today um if you speak to the minister of Aberfoyle, um and i'm not sure who it is today but certainly i spoke to one about 10 years ago and they said uh, even when they're when they're given the post they're told that they're just there to hold the post until Robert Kirk reappears.
0: <laughs> that's quite interesting. <laughs> so
1: that's
0: that's a legend, really. That's a that's a legend. And that's the same type of story that, that, that I can found online um first looking into Robert Kirk. I was I was kind of first pulled into I, I knew about the story, and I knew about the kind of theory lore and my kind of take on it was mainly because i I look at like paranormal phenomena and I'm into things like UFOs and um, things like that. I don't say maybe too much about like apparitions and things like that or fairy lore. I mean, but I think I see a lot of it it correlates together. When you look at stuff in the past, it was maybe just something that was it's called something different now. And um so I kind of correlate quite a lot together. So I was linked in with Aberfoyle to do that I looked at stuff to do with fairies and to look at um lights in the sky, because quite a lot of the time um where the fairy lore has happened in the past, like things like maybe even in this country or in Northern Europe and stuff, there's always been um, light phenomena seen with that as well. I'm, I'm not saying maybe like a, a nuts and bolts craft or anything, but there's always been things like that seen. So that was my kind of lengthy look at the first, and then it kind of brought me to Aberfoyle, and I was going to look at the Robert Kirk story and stuff, and, and um, I kind of moved on to another story after that, and this is me kind of going back to it and, and finding out, I wanted to find out, um, first of all, was it a real man? And then it obviously was a real man, right? But, I mean, it was just to go through the actual kind of story. And then I know uh, if you can contact me yourself and what you've been researching is it, to find it like the real Robert Kirk. So um, so how, from there, I mean, from there, was there much parallels between the story to what the actual man was? And I think with the conversations we had a wee bit before, not going into much, it, it kind of, I think it correlates to some of what some of the people were awful are kind of like today. Um, so if you want to maybe talk a wee bit about um Robert Kirk's actual person and and, and how he can kind of progress for there and, and how he got this legendary status. <laughs>
1: uh he um he definitely did exist. Uh not not only as is this gravestone there, he is mentioned in uh, church records, parish records, mm-hmm. which are held I think by the Quakers or the Mormons in America now, but they are online. Yeah. Um and um Equally, uh, he he left behind books. You know, he he was a very learned man. He uh, he translated the Psalter first of all for the church, mm-hmm. he translated the Bible into Gaelic. This is um, for the church, and then he uh, wrote the Secret Commonwealth, which is the 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 this, this story or book about. It's not a story. A book about fairies, which would appear to be giving away perhaps the fairies' uh, secrets. He also leaves behind a series of diaries which are held at um, Edinburgh University in the special collections, and you can go and see them. They're handwritten by him, yeah. and and that's about... They cover uh, some of his time at university, which is quite dense because it's much of it's in Latin and it's all about religious, you know, quite heavily religious stuff. And then there's uh, two or three diaries that cover his time in London, which is really uh, the year... Hmm, that's uh, 1688. 89 through to 1690. Mm-hmm. So two years before he went missing, he was in London for eight months. So we get a really good view into what he was doing and thinking at that time. Mm-hmm.
0: Was it was it quite traceable when you were looking and researched into him? Did you manage to? I know you've you've found quite a lot of stuff now, but did you find it quite hard at the start, or was it quite easy to trace quite a lot of the material on him? Actually, um <clears throat>
1: there's because his fairy text um, obviously when uh, uh, it's outside of um, it can be reproduced any any by anyone because it's so old. Yeah, it's not got. Um, photo- uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Um,
0: copyright and stuff like
1: that. yeah, it's outside of copyright, so um, it's actually been reproduced several times, usually with a, an academic or someone of interest writing an in- an introduction and, and and some little bits and pieces of their interest, like you know you're interested in you. Um, how it might relate to UFOs and, and so on. And, and yeah. you know, they, they've got their own, own take on it. And one of them is uh, Marina Warner, who's, who's a big folklorist, academic, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so it has been written about quite a lot. But um, reading through all of them and realising there's inconsistencies there about what marriages he had, how many children he had, um, exactly who these people were that he was related to, and, and going through the text itself it did give me quite a few leads into what families and, and what the relationships were with those families and 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 how he, where he would fit in, in amongst those. Um, and also there, there's a piece of information that is remembered and quite often, uh, yeah, it's quite often brought up whenever this, this comes along. Um, even in people's stories orally, they remember that he was an Episcopalian minister.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that I didn't think was important until quite late on it took me a while to really work out that how important that was um but yes I think reading around the subject reading uh through his text and then reading around what was going on at the time you got a really good sense because it's a time of big political up, uh, upheaval mm-hmm. both in the church and uh in politics so as you sort of feed all that information in and, and process where's he and all of that
0: yeah. He got a real sense of who he he, were, who he was. So, 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 from that when he was to the stories, actually, he the lore and the the kind of legends you hear from. How did he get that that kind of name? I know we, we kind of discussions had before. He was looking into some things that be second sight and stuff. So, how did he go trans transition from being a minister at the parish to actually starting to a kind of look at some of these kind of things or um, have an interest in that?
1: Well, my, my, my theory, anyway, uh, he obviously had some very good connections in that he was being asked to translate things from English to Gaelic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And those connections were firmed up when he went to London. And I think because um, uh, the, the, religious, the religious upheaval that was going on in Scotland was much worse than anything that was going on in England. Mm-hmm. And he was caught right in the middle of it as a, as a minister. So he was this is where the Episcopalian thing comes in, so he was an Episcopalian minister, and that means that he was um, with a, it's a subset of the protestantism
2: yeah.
1: and it means that they they believe in having, or It's not belief uh, that, that they they that their church governance is through archbishops and bishops, yeah. so it all comes from the king. everything comes down that way at the time um, there was great upheaval because uh, uh Presbyterians were were regaining power, so they had had power at some point early on in the 1600s, and, and had gone back to um, the Episcopalians and then with the change of uh, with the change of king and the upheaval that that caused, as opposed to that was the king's decree, mm-hmm. um, but the upheaval that that caused and, and the lack of consistent power, the Presbyterians took their chances and decided this was their this was their moment to to get the Kirk back. Mm-hmm. So actually, it was. Much more underhand than probably the Scottish Kirk would like to put their hand up and say mm-hmm. um, it, it, much more underhand than it um, is remembered because of course they they're the uh, the voice that's, that's that's creating the the, the story now that's... the dominant voice <laughs> but um uh, when you look at some there's academic papers and uh, some particularly good academic books actually that um, do tell you about that what really went on there was that the Presbyterians were um, Literally ousting um, bishops—they've got Bishop of Glasgow horribly ousted from from the cathedral, and uh, the, the the gold and silver things all stolen, and and you know uh, even pulled out in the middle of the night, and his whole family and his servants and everything out into the street, and keys taken off him. It's, it's not it's not pretty. No. And so I think Robert Kirk was sort of waiting for this to happen. That had actually happened to the Bishop of Glasgow before he even went to London. So I think when he went to London. He knew that his days in Scotland were probably numbered unless, this, unless the political thing, church politics swayed the other way again. Mm-hmm. And I think when he was in London, he thought, actually, it's much safer here. And there was a lot of uh, Scottish clergymen who had made it to London and who were having really good lives there. And I think they, he, he, according to the diaries, he did spend quite a lot of time with, with them and, and um, socializing. And I think they, they were saying to him, you know, you'd be better off coming down here and I think he he was, that was his intention when he went back to Scotland was to tie things up and come back. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason he wrote the fairy book um, so the, the Secret Commonwealth is because he was, um, at that time there was the, the Royal Society, The royal, it was the Royal Philosophical Society, but of course it's become the Royal Society now. Yeah. Um, and it was really in its early days, it had only been going for 30 years, but it had Royal backing, it had money. Um, it, was, it was putting roots down for science that had never been seen before. It had previously been letters that were sent, sent around Europe. Um, and, and this was the first time it was, you know, a, a really long-term project. And it was a very exciting thing to be involved in. But this, uh, uh, other members at the time were Isaac Newton and um, Christopher Wren and uh, uh, Samuel Pepys, people, people we all hear of today. So it was a really exciting time. And I think that he was encouraged to um apply to the Royal Society because that would secure him a good position or a good way of coming into London and getting a good job in London. Uh, that's my theory, anyway. And I think what his theory's text was uh really was his um application, like you know, like a PhD would get you somewhere and you you could call yourself an academic then and and in his case it was to introduce himself to the Royal Society he'd produce something that was towards their research and then he could be accepted and it might come down to that you could either pay or you could uh, write something actually because that's what I'm seeing is a, a lot of people joined at that time but I think a lot of them just paid and then those that came in that didn't have the money or who wanted to be researchers they would they would write an essay and I think this that was why he wrote it
0: so he was so he was technically looking at this as a kind of scientific approach, and I kind of weigh in as well for that. And uh, so that's what the kind of correlations to you, you find today, where people are looking at this phenomena or parts of the phenomena and using a scientific approach rather than like having factual what they kind of look into it. And it's it's funny to know because it's, if um, if he was doing it at that time, it's still going on to this day, and that's it's just the kind of correlation between the two, and then you get people who have been researched it for absolutely years and scientists and um, and they still refer back to Kirk as well mm-hmm. and I think maybe referring back to Kirk just because of the whole kind of fairy lore in the stories and maybe looking into it and maybe no knowing this part of it as well because uh, it is quite interesting as well so on, on that kind of note where um, if like these papers that such have put in the secret commonwealth and, and things like that and what did was there any um, notification in when you look for the research what you found? in regards to some of the stories he found and, and things like that? Or or what kind of, was there a kind of common theme, the things that he was seeing or the things that he was looking into?
1: Um, he himself gives... Uh, el- it, the, the, the text is in three parts. So um, there's a, a part with fif- uh, 15 chapters in which he gives 11 examples um, of other people's stories. So he writes it uh, like an academic text. He calls it an essay. So he doesn't say I saw or I believe these are other people's stories he's collected mm-hmm. um, and he's done 15 chapters of that with uh, like I say 11, 11 different examples and then he includes an, um, a letter that's written um, by another man actually uh, who was I, I believe he was very good friends with who was very well connected. He was um, a a lawyer, he was a statesman, he was in charge of Scotland at one point, he switches sides with the kings and, and he's remembered as a bit of a sly one, but he was, um, and he, he later became the Earl of Cromarty. but at the time he's referred to as uh, uh, Viscount Tarber, his name's actually George McKenzie, George McKenzie, and he's about, he's about 15 years or so older than Robert Kirk, so I, I kind of imagine that they've got, um, it's almost like a mentor for Robert Kirk. He may be, he's maybe the, the connecting thing that, that links him to, to these people. And it's quite possible that Robert Boyle, who was looking for someone to um, translate things into Gallic for him, um, was actually, had actually asked, is there somebody who could do that? And, and Robert Kirk's name had come up and that, that was the link and as to how he started doing work for Robert Boyle um, and, and, uh, and ended up in London um sorry can you go back to the question
0: again so, yes, else, so then the main thing so the mainly about the stories that he collected that was the thing and was there a common theme through those kind of stories and, and have you any can insight into some of the stories and there's quite a lot in this question and was it scotland wide or was it just within set areas where he was looking okay so yeah
1: so he he writes um he writes with 11 examples tarbert comes along with another six examples and then he writes a conclusion. So it's as if he's changed his mind about certain things. And he gives another two examples. Now, only all of Tarbert's examples are more like ghosts, um, they're much more like ghost stories or spiritualist sort of things. Mm-hmm. And most of Robert Kirk's are as well. Um, there's only three that are abduction stories, but I thought we, we could go over them if you if you want. Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. Uh, because it's it, there's there's so much stuff that it's funny, even when you look through past past paper reports of, um, go with that, the prime example, right? if I look through like an old old paper report and you maybe find something that somebody maybe seen in the past, like let's say 150 years ago and they maybe seen something. And because of the amount of data that you can actually find on the subject now and the people inputting into the subject, you can see correlations in it. And so you could probably look at something gone back 150 years ago. Oh, he's seen that, or it might be actually something that's plausible, and it's it's no nothing in, in in paranormal. But you you could still relate to it and say, well, we've got data on that that people have kind of fed in. They know what that is, or that's possibly this, or if it is maybe something paranormal, then you could you could look at it and say, oh, he's actually experiencing this because there's yeah. I mean, not much data on it now. So it's, it's interesting to see kind of what, what he kind of found and, and, and stuff like that. So, I yeah. So it interesting go. to see
1: what, what you think then. So the, 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 these are the ones that they, are the abductions. So mm-hmm. the first one, um, is a, a, a seer or somebody with a second sight, uh, goes missing at the same place regularly and reappears nearby um, regularly. He reports that he comes face-to-face with the subterraneans, which is... Another word, Robert Kirk uses for the fairies. Yeah, and they fight him from the first place to the second. So the implication is that he's invisible or whatever whilst he's fighting, isn't it? I think.
0: Yeah, aye, it's quite mad. Aye, so so this man, this man appears and disappears. I mean, also disappears and appears within one place.
1: Yeah, um, in two different places. So I think it's across like a field or something. That's like. Um, he he he, all, he disappears regularly at one end of the field and, and reappears at the other end of the field, and that I mean that's all he says. <laughs> but the, it's the nearest thing to an abduction. You yeah, know. totally.
0: No, it's interesting though. I, fi- I find it really interesting, even in, in the days that kind of they were looking into this and 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 collecting these stories and stuff. I mean that that's it's like you've got so many people doing it now. You know I mean, so what else did they? What else did they can they find? Or uh,
1: so the, the the second abduction story, um, uh, well. These are the three that I pulled out that, that were possibly abductions really? Yeah. So, a woman who she went out chasing her sheep at night mm-hmm. and fell asleep on a hillock. <laughs> um, she was abducted, she says, and um, transported to another place uh by day, but the, it's unclear because um, the language is quite different from our it's much more like reading Shakespeare or something it's yeah
0: more, yeah I tell you, when you um, read the commonwealth it's a, it's a hard read it's definitely it is a hard read, read.
1: you're right <laughs> particularly the third bit where he really gets into it and it's all a lot of religious references uh, yeah. it's almost he's so enthusiastic at that point but the first first section's not not too bad actually once you get the hang of it um so this lady uh she she falls asleep in a Hillock looking for sheep and um when she returns, she seems to be in a state of hibernation. He doesn't say the word hibernation, but he describes it as like animals do in the winter, birds do in the winter. Yeah. Um, and she's, so she's been in this state since she returned, and she hardly ever eats.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She's silent, she's melancholy, and she rarely laughs. Um, however, she's managed to have a child since then. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know what you think of that. I think that's...
0: Well, that's quite interesting as well, though, not even with the abduction scenarios and <laughs> stuff. So... so. <laughs> so there's always lots of cases with that abduction scenarios and then um, um, children and stuff after it and all these kind of things. I mean, so I know, I know, I know you're in the, in the paranormal aspect here, but that's uh, some of the things that do crop up from time to time, but it's interesting. Um, so, 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 so uh, yeah, so I suppose
1: you, what you mean is the sort of impregnation by... Yes, by
0: uh, artificial insemination and stuff like well, that. I mean, that's yeah. that. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, I mean, all the that, that kind, of, kind of stories... There's there's um, correlations and loads of stories like that where people going um, saying they've been abducted and then um, they can't prove anything, obviously. You know I mean? But there's been cases where they've they've, they've fell pregnant, then they've lost the child and stuff and, and and things like that and um, as well. I mean, so it's just disappeared. There's, there's loads of kind of cases with that right across the board. Um, I
1: mean, my 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 own point of view on this is that a woman who goes and sleeps outside her and I he comes back and she's pretty tormented and has a child has probably met a horrible man.
0: Maybe you know? possibly, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um but yes, she could have been stopped. or
0: a sheep or a sheep rustler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I, I just think there's Possibly um, a very rational explanation for that. Yeah, one.
0: yeah, there could be. No, I mean, I'm one for looking for the rational explanations first. I don't always jump to conclusions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, saying that, I, I don't know about the man who was dis- disappears one end of the field and reappears again. That seems a bit strange. Um, so the third the third story, um, and, and this is quite a common fairy story that seems... To be, I mean, it's it's only mentioned once here, but it seems to be quite a common thing in fairy lore when you look at Ireland and places as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lady died slowly in her childbed, so I'm assuming she's had the child at this point. Yeah, she was buried, um, only to return two years later. Um, she died slowly and decayed, he says, uh, and she was and then she was buried, and then two years later she turned back up again, and the husband who had married again at this point. Confirmed that she was who she said she was, Mm -hmm. and had the awkwardness of having to get rid of wife number two.
0: (laughs) That's a that's a strange story. (laughs) I'm even going a comment for that. I mean that is that's that's totally mad. That is. It sounds like
1: film with a similar. I think there is a film with a similar. There's there's
0: a a film. There's a film called The Serpent and the Rainbow where um, it's to do with zombies, and it's. I mean, in in regards to it's uh, anthropologists looking at. the kind of pharmaceutical drugs that cause the catatonic state to, it was like to create real zombies. It's to do with like some of the poison in the puffer fish. So these people were um, poisoned by this and then they were buried. And then they would, um, they would crop up a couple of years later because they'd maybe been farmed off somewhere. And after that, um, like dug back up or whatever else, but they'd have maybe um, lack of oxygen, and we didn't know who they were and all that kind of stuff. So there's loads and of cases like that. But that seems that's kind of, it seems like she seems quite compass and all that kind of stuff. It was, and
1: she does. And she mentions that when, that she, she says she went to Fairyland. She said that she says that's where she was. Mm-hmm. And she says that um, most of the time in Fairyland she, she wasn't able to see what the room where she was, but they gave her an eye unction. Um so like an eye eye dropper, an eye cream. Mm -hmm. And they they put that on one of her eyes and suddenly she could see light and she could see her around herself. And when they realised that she could see, they took it away again. I don't know why they would do that. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, in um, uh, Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, being a literature person myself, um, the very same thing happens. In fact, there's quite a lot of correlations with with Shakespeare's version of fairies because he presents them as a full humanoid sort of size. Some of them are shorter, but they're a type of fairy. And Robert Kirk never says anything about them being smaller. They're certainly not the sort of tiny little things with wings. Um, I've I watched uh, one, no, I listened to one of the po- podcasts that you sent me actually, and they were discussing when did fairies become small, but it was with the Cottingley fairies and that was um, much, much later on, that's the Victorian time. Mm-hmm. Before then, fairies, I, I believe in uh, in Ireland there are talks of the little folk and whatnot, Yeah, but I think... Um, what Robert Kirk sees is is very much what that Shakespearean sort of fairy is full size with new wings.
0: Yeah, but the description in the, the Secret Commonwealth. Where yeah. did you did you get any source where he where he pulled that from? Where the, the when he describes the fairies with the, in the gaseous form, better seen at twilight. If you can remember that part of the Secret Commonwealth. Um,
1: yeah. So I've got some quotes here. Um, there are spirits um, and light they, yeah, they are, uh, yes there are spirits and light changeable bodies like those called astral now that's a word I would associate with sort mm-hmm. supernatural really uh, or spiritualism maybe yeah yeah um, somewhat of the nature of a condensed cloud and best seen at twilight mm-hmm. um, uh, they' they're, somewhere in the nature betwixt man and angel, as were the demons thought to be of of old. Um, And their bodies bodies of congealed air are sometimes carried aloft. So you've got a bit of flying there, even if it's without wings. Um,
0: So I'd be interested to find where he he actually had, where he he, he realised that, to write that, to understand that.
1: You're right. So it's possible that because he's writing an academic text and he is aware that it's um, uh, he's aware that it's not something that the church are particularly happy about him. You know, it's it's not popular. It's something you get in trouble for, really. Um, And and he does mention somewhere about it. it, You know, this would be a really interesting thing to study if it it was something that was all right to study, really. (laughs) Um, He's he's aware it's not very um, popular or, or it doesn't really go with the other narratives at the time. Um, so whether or not he has actually seen something or whether it's just that he's living amongst people and the stories he's been told it's all described the same way unfortunately you know he's not there to ask the questions when you think oh gosh if you could have just asked that question to him at the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: it's interesting at that time as well I mean he's he's uh just we obviously the witch trials and all that kind of stuff that was going on as well I mean that's He's um he was really really cutting a fine line between
1: Yeah, he was. And I and I wonder, um, I think that the first text that he sent off, um well, I say sent off, the the first part, the chapterized bit of the Commonwealth seems to be a sort of first part. And I wonder if he didn't send that away first and then didn't get anywhere with it. And that's why he's then put it together with this letter. Um, from Lord Tarbot, who of course has got really good standing, he's, you know, he's mm-hmm. he, he's he's not somebody who would, you know, very highly regarded, respectable man, um, and I think that's, he's what he says is that that letter, which actually was a letter to Robert Boyle, so how he's got his hands on it, I'm not sure, mm-hmm. Pro- probably it's a copy that was kept by um, Lord Tarbot and then passed on to him, and, and he says he didn't see, when he wrote the first it was that, that first section, he didn't, hadn't seen this letter from Tarbot. Mm-hmm. He was really amazed at how much of a crossover there was when Lord Tarbet's letter came to, um, and that they, they seem to be talking about the same thing. Um, so I think that they're both getting stories from people around them. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and they do go across uh, all over Scotland. Uh, Robert Kirk's tend to be from either Balquidder where he was first a minister or from Aberfoyle.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He does often say where they're
0: from, not always, but sometimes. Um, yeah. Sorry, have I answered your question? No totally, <laughs> no, totally interesting, though, it really is. I mean, I think, um, I just think it's, we're hearing the lore, and then I know, obviously, I, I kind of knew we'd be, be reading into it, and I kind of thought that um, you were going, to, I was going to find, it was totally different in to all that. But it's quite, it's quite interesting, the fact that it was, it was looking into it. And even people found it interesting in that day and age as well. I know there was quite a lot of superstition and stuff, but even looking at try trying to look at it in a scientific kind of manner and, and just re- even record the stories and stuff. Um, yeah. It's When you
1: said about witches, I should have said, uh, Lord Tarbutt before significantly before this, a good 10 years or so before, um, had actually been, um, when, he, when he was in charge of the courts of Scotland, he'd become very suspicious about the amount of um, witches cropping up in um, areas, and he was like, oh, this is not right, it's like, and you realise that it, I think he says something along the lines of um, that they, they, mostly they're just you know vagabonds and, and unfortunates or something, mm-hmm. um, and they're just undesirables that people don't really want around, and that uh, the witch hunters are actually the problem here. So he went after the witch hunters mm. and for, for a while he really quelled um, uh, witch hunts in Scotland with that strategy. So he, uh, to the modern day person, he's a good guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mad days. <laughs> it totally is. <laughs> but um, it's interesting now you get like, well I'm looking at it then and even now, I don't know if you have heard the news recently, so there's there's a congressional hearings now uh, just happening in America to, to do a UAP. I mean, that's, that's UFOs, basically. So they're they are in the middle of saying, oh, they're real, they're there, they know what they are. They've got a lot of other information there, but uh, I'm sure some stuff will come out in, in, the, in the the future anyway. But, uh, but it is quite interesting. It's getting, there's no loads in the news about it, um, but you can actually um, you can actually go in and listen to the hearings when they're, they're, they're taking place because they're like, um, it's oil congress and stuff and they're interviewing people from the DOD and stuff like where that. Where
1: do you see the crossover? Are they they described similarly? Um I shouldn't be asking the question, sorry, but are they described similarly in that they're this sort of congealed air kind of
0: well you, you get a lot of cases where uh, apart from like UFO UFOs and stuff, right? So in that it's it can be everything. It can be everything from lights in the sky to nuts and bolts craft to, to things like that. But there's a whole other other can you link in the other phenomena where it links into a lot of different other other things. So um they were finding where people were looking into it, um, there was other things happening to them. So if they were looking into it, like the phenomena or UEP phenomena, people in the government and they were finding that um other things were happening to them. So there's a thing called the Hitchhiker effect where there, there'd be Leaving what they were doing and something would go home with them, some would follow them from whatever they were doing. So even if that was a connection between looking into UFOs or looking into like a certain place where phenomena happened, they would go back and take something back with them. So it was called the hitchhiker effect. So you would get things where maybe apparitions appearing, um, there'd be maybe poor gas activity. Sometimes people seen like light phenomena, like orbs and stuff like that. And there was, there was a case where it came out recently in one of the books, and it was one of the, one of the, the scientists. Was, they were looking at, I think they were looking at Skinwalker Ranch or something, and they'd seen three orbs. And when they were driving, I think it was him and his daughter or, or him and his wife or something, and one passed over the car, one passed through the car, and one, they said they were about a baseball size, like you know, blue orbs or something, and one passed through the, wind, the, the side window and passed through his shoulder. And he said when it passed through his shoulder and it came out the other side, his neck or something, he said it, um, it just felt like an air bubble and then it disappeared. So they, because he was, um, this was a funded government project which, which was, and as factual you can find, it, it was called, at the time, it was called OSAP. And there was a few different ones. It was like, ones that was funded prior to that um, called NIDS and then it was like OSAP. And when they were doing all the, these kind of studies, there are a book then I um one of the scientists who was involved in it it was called Skinwalkers at the Pentagon and um, so within that there was this um, thing passed through him like a like an orb light type thing and um, they ended up we managed to um, keep track of him and 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 test him and all that kind of stuff and do blood work and all that kind of stuff because he was involved in the project and they found that he got like some type of kind of rare cancer but it never metastasized or whatever so they managed to he got all weight and stuff so people were having physical effects by um, looking into this type of stuff or looking into phenomena in certain areas, or or seeing things. So, but that's the thing. So we're looking at a lot of it now. It's not just the case of um, for what's coming out, what people are, are looking into. It's not just the case of people looking at a, a classic style UFO or, or or some or a light in the sky. It's like they see a lot of correction between other types of phenomena so it's maybe just it's not just ufos it's not just lights in the sky it's like it's consciousness it's um it could be ghosts it could be apparitions it, i mean i but i mean it's all linked it's like the phenomena seems to be linked to be a lot of different things and places and people and um abduction scenarios or people um having i don't know sometimes it's like strange visitations so it's like there's a lot of different range where people think it is is it like is it is it ETs? Is it some interdimensional? Is it something that's like demonic? Is it something that's like otherworldly? And it's just there's loads of there's too much stuff out there where people don't know what it is. So the the thing that now in the the actual congressional hearings, it's only about mainly about some cases, um, maybe over the past twenty years. I think they'll probably revert back with the questions that are they're getting put to the DOD. But the, the good thing is that some of the people in Congress have already been briefed. With some of the people who've who basically came out from the government, so they know what questions they ask. Um, so, some when it came out, mm-hmm. I actually listened to it the day for a prime example. It was um, they were asking about crash retrievals. So they, they said, um, "Was there any is there any crash retrievals in the task force in the task force possession?" And the, the, the guy for the DOD answered, answer, um, "No, there's there's we've not got anything in the task force possession, but the task force only run a year." So it's the the wording and what they need to say and stuff. So they'll go back with their questions and stuff. I mean, but there is other people who have came out and know there's other projects that are running and still running, but they've got um, NDAs and stuff that they can't disclose it. And this is the just conspiracy stuff. It's actually like a lot of it's out there in the the public domain now. You know, some of it being unclassified. I mean, the videos that came out recently, um, the US Navy from the Nimitz, which were... um, there was videos from the it's carrier group in 2004 came out when there was um, um, a couple of fighter jets chasing. It was like, let's say it was like a 40-foot tic-tac. And it was basically sitting watching the carrier group um, for days. And there was like a number of them. They said there was a lot of them dropping out of the sky, coming basically 80,000 feet out of space and then, and dropping down to the water about um, like a few meters above the water in the space like under a second. And um, they said there was, like, hundreds of these things. And then like, this one, they chased the. They went out to see what it was doing. and um, Because we're doing, like, training exercises. So they went out to see what it was. And they seen it. And as soon as this thing kind of seen them, it went towards them. And then chased it. And then uh, it almost, there was something in the water underneath it. They said there was something churning in the water underneath it. Like, a, they said it looked like a cross or a fuselage or something. But they couldn't get a good look at that. They could see the waves breaking on it. And then this thing was, he said it was down next to it and it was moving about like if you had a ping pong ball and a, a glass and shaking it, he said it was moving like that, that fast above it. And when they came, they, um, came in, the thing turned around and went towards them and then, and then they swung around and they tried to kind of chase it, but it just shot off. But actually it went to, it shot off and disappeared and it ended up at the plane's cap point, which is a place in the sky where the plane um, rendezvous so it knew where he was going. Oh, I
2: see.
0: They got all that, they got all that in gun like gun camera footage every. So they got all that. And um so when that was classified and it did not come in, it only came out recently when some of the guys came out, uh, the whistleblowers came out for the DOD and um put some of the stuff forward. And so there's been there's been a few other things as well. You see gun camera footage for um, I think it was two thousand 14 maybe. I, I'm, I'm maybe not hanging the dates, but that was off the coast. Uh, it was off the east coast. Uh, this was at the west coast. And it was the same kind of thing. They'd seen like multiple ones in the sky and like chasing them and stuff like that. Couldn't catch them and they were just um going through the air rotating and stuff like that. And they've, they've got it on footage. Two of the videos came out. One was t- one was called uh there was actually the three, one was called the, the tic-tac video, one was called Gimbal, where they were also tracked another one along. Um going across the sea, um, just above the sea, and the other one was like high up in the air. You know I mean, so, and they have got, it was. it's not just a case of getting it on a video. It was the the thing with these videos, people see them and don't think much of them because they're like, they're maybe gaining night vision shots or they're in thermal, but it's the data, it correlates with the other sensor systems that they've got. So they've got like radar on it. they have got, um, they can see heat signatures on it. They can see the speed on it. They can so it's got all the kind of multiple signatures on it. So long, a long-winded answer for uh, the question. So that the whole kind of thing where that's why I'm interested in all this kind of stuff as well. Going back in the past because people were, it goes back like hundreds if not thousands of years. People have seen things, and um, it's maybe just been called something different over over time. So
1: entirely possible. I, I'm, I'm sure. I, Robert Kirk, and nowhere in the book does it say anything about orbs. That's um, familiar with what, with what you mean there, yeah. um, uh, but he doesn't mention anything like that. Um, he does talk about uh, where um, visions happen. So um, you could, you could be in a completely different country, and your your friend, um, you know, it, say your friend back in Scotland is dying or in trouble and you see a vision of him clear as day but as a as a double in front of you in America mm-hmm. and you therefore know that either he's dying or there's something terrible happening mm-hmm. uh, and that's like a um, a vision I suppose the um, prophecy almost and uh, he does mention some oracles who, who uh, and seers who operate like that you know like you would see in then Films, I suppose. Yeah. Um, where they there's, there's one uh, oracle up in the islands, and she she says she's very confused about what she can see because she can see this army they're, Well, they're in a they're in a boat, and she can't tell whether they're coming towards the island or whether they're going away from the island. And when they finally arrive, she, she's saying, I, "I think we're being attacked. I'm not sure." Um, but this is she's got second sight, so she can see this and uh, t- she's annoyed because she, well, she doesn't say she's annoyed actually it just says she, the reason she's confused is because they were sat backwards when they were rowing and also they'd stolen the boat earlier from that island so in fact they were they were rowing in in a in a boat that didn't it looked like a friendly boat and it looked like they were rowing away depending how she she saw it the, the vision there's quite a few things that are more like visions or more like doublings and i remember we were mentioned didn't we about um uh, that concept of having uh, particles in two places. Uh, that's... Yeah,
0: yeah, like the quantum physics aspect. Yeah, that's way.
1: right, and and I think there's maybe something there because there's quite a lot of this doubling or seeing seeing a vision of something um, uh, when it's far away, but it turns out to be true. There's a, there's a funny one about um, there's a man sitting in um, in an inn or in a pub somewhere, and uh, I think it's Killin actually, which is just up from Aberfoyle, a bit further north. And he is um, sitting with a random group of people in the pub and at some point he just turns and he, he looks funny and somebody says to him, what would what you do that for? What have you seen? And he says, um, oh, it's just my friend. He, he was threatening to throw a, a dish of butter in my face. And they're like, what? Um, and he says, yeah, yeah, he lives in Ireland. And... Um, Anyway, the, the, the people in the pub decided they were going to go and find out if this was true. So they wrote to the man in Ireland and um, asked him if he would tried to communicate with his friend. And uh, he wrote back and said, yes, I was going to put a dish of butter in, in, in his face. And, and they, they they correlated on dates and times and everything. And, and the, the man in the pub said, yeah, he does it to me like a joke all the time. He's always doing these things. And you they, it's like they, they both had second sight and they, they played with it. It's quite interesting. But this second sight seems to be what Robert Kirk's really interested in. Some people have got it, some people haven't got it, some people can get it. If you um if you if you're with somebody who can see, if they put their foot or um they put their foot under yours or over yours and they put their hand on your shoulder, there are ways that they can then you can see. Um so there are ways to make yourself see if you if you can't see. Uh, but he, he discusses at great length, you know, what what is it that makes people seers or not? Mm-hmm. And, and that, that, you know, does that come down to, is that a cor- something that correlates with your experience in, in the UFO world, do you think?
0: You know, totally, yeah. Well, I mean, because it all, it all kind of mixes in with phenomena and and, and stuff like that, and it's, um, I'm actually reading a book recently, and it's about Robert Monroe who is um in the 50s he started to astro travel and he thought he was going crazy and um it's basically about his stories about how he developed it but he he done a scientific approach in it and and studied it and got the data and, and he done a lot of kind of other stuff underground because it was wasn't a, I see underground but i mean like just no um Outwardly telling people and stuff. You know what I mean. So there's people that maybe were into a lot of different paranormal aspects of everything, and they were just maybe um, there was there was kind of literature and in the, in the maybe past esoteric scriptures and, and things like that, where um, these type of things could be done. You know what I mean, like in Buddhists and, and all that kind of stuff, where you could maybe astral travel or come out of the body and all that. So he, he was kind of looking into all that aspect and ended up um, he. Studied it that much that he could do it. He could do it almost at will, and they tested it, And he could. Um, he ended up. He could. He, there's things where he describes where there's like different planes that he could go through. There's like here where he could leave the body here and leave the body in, and it's it's like another plane. It's kind of like here, but it's slightly different. And then there's other ones, and he goes into quite a good bit of description about them all. And uh, it's interesting because uh, it's it, it can be it, it can be. Um, taught or learned um to do it. Like, uh, maybe not everybody can do it. You know I mean, but this thing with the astral traveling, um, it kind of develops it's sort I do it sort of do like meditation and, and and things like that and getting your body in a certain state to do it. But interestingly enough with that and talking, I know I'm going back on about the American government. I mean, but um from a lot of stuff that he did as well, there was like um programs in the US government and it was like psychic spying programs. It's like the, there was a number of different ones. One of the main ones was the, the, like the Stargate program, and it was like to do with um, astral travel and stuff. They spent millions in it. It was like the like between the CIA and the, I don't know what part of the military it was. You know and I mean, but there's there's been books in it and stuff, and there's been actually films. and I think George Clooney was in a book called uh, and in a film called Many State of Goats, and it was kind of like a a kind of i'd say it was a it, was, it wasn't a, a mega comedy but there was funny bits in it, and it was kind of like a bit of comedy and tongue-in-cheek film about it but they read the book in it as well and and it was based on um the people in this program and it was what like, they did with them kind of doing a, a different kind of type of it, and it was to leave the body and and go to other places and some of them were really really good at it where they could go to facilities and read name tags and documents and, and all that kind of stuff and it, apparently it, it it got stopped, you know what I mean? But there was other things linked into the other programmes that I spoke about, which were supposed to be still doing stuff to do it. And this is like, you're not talking about um, people kind of trying, out. this is like actual scientists and stuff trying to collect the data and do it and, and do all that. So there's loads of evidence on it. And it's it's just quite interesting that you see people looking at it way back then. Um, mm-hmm. And that's how it links into the, I'd say, I wouldn't say UFO kind of thing, but I mean, it links into the whole phenomena side of it because people now, who maybe came out looking at all this they maybe started looking at it as maybe like a nuts and bolts UFO thing or a paranormal thing or lights in the sky and they've, they've kind of came full circle back to um, the whole paranormal aspect of it like it's, it's all kind of linked like the astral travel and like the, the consciousness um, after death you know what I mean other beings and entities and all that kind of stuff and lights in the sky I think is it's, it's it's all linked in some in some kind of um, thing. It's like the thing as well is that we only see it's quite a lot of them I refer to, and even if they have gone back to like John Keel refers to this as well when he talks about it. Um, that we only see a certain light spectrum, so there could be loads of stuff on the as we don't see. Um, yes, yeah,
1: so it's pretty arrogant to say that we know everything, isn't it? And um, definitely, there must the we're always discovering new things. So. Um,
0: well, that's it's, it's only the kind of the science of the day is only the science of the day until somebody changes it for tomorrow. I mean, it's like yeah, the world just to be flat. You know what I mean? Of people thought it was round, so um although some people still think it's flat. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I, I do. It's like I, so in terms of in terms of um, your book. um so in, in your book, a wee bit more about your book in regards to this, do you you cover, is it quite a lot of the historical aspect here? Do you cover a bit of this aspect here, Is it or the whole kind of nine yards, say, everything about Robert Kirk, if you want to kind of go a wee bit about that?
1: Well, I started off on this thinking it would be a children's book and realised that the story really does not lend itself to, because a, 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 I normally write children's books, but um, mm. it really doesn't lend itself to that unless you change the story. And I couldn't quite bring myself to do that. Um for two reasons, one is it doesn't have a happy ending; he goes missing you know end off and the and the other one is it, it suggests that if you if you put your voice out there if you write a book that's a bad thing because you might get stolen away you know um so and it suggests that you should keep secrets and things which is not a good thing to be telling children so the whole thing does not lend itself as a as a children's book at all and um I, so i I've, I've ended up looking at it just been drawn into it and into it and into it over the years um and i, I what I'm going for actually is is a novel but I think I've collected so much stuff and what you're telling me is that there there's obviously quite a lot of references else elsewhere and I think what I'm going to do is try and put together a a, you know life and times of, which is yes I've I've got a fair amount there already um and and probably I'll I'll publish that first I should think um and, and then go back to look at the the novel which is uh, fairly well developed. I mean, it's it's yeah, got quite a bit there, uh, and it's it's my theory on on what actually happened to Robert Kirk. I mean, his his disappearance, his his abduction. I mean, that's fairly unexplained. And mm. notice, because you asked me to look at um, uh, Valley. Is that his name?
0: Yeah, just I mean, because as I said, Jack Valley is one of he's one of he's been the one of the most kind of prominent researchers through the years. Um, he's been involved in some stuff with the US government and all that as well, French, but, um, he, um, but he refers back to, one of his more recent books now, refers back to um, Robert Kirk. Um, yeah,
1: I, I, well, I read it, The Passport to Magonia. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. an older book, isn't it? But
0: yeah, but he's got, I think he's he's maybe he's, he's got another uh, book as well. It probably refers back to some other bits of these other books, but it refers back to Kirk and I think it's it's Dimensions, I think the book is called. But, oh, okay,
2: I'll have a look
1: but, at that as well.
0: But that's <laughs> it, he refers back to the secret Commonwealth and stuff um, and that. But it's just interesting. There are
1: certain things he says that um, are of interest actually to me. So um, he says that UF well, UAPs, isn't it now, Uh, UFOs, uh, come at a time of social and political unrest or war. That's of interest to me because Robert Kirk's time was so political and church uh, unrest. And actually, if you look at the history of um, where the werewolves came from, that is another area um, where there was great political unrest and religious unrest. And I think there's something in that because if you haven't got, um, if you haven't got a, a a judge appointed by you know the government and you haven't got a a clergyman who's got authority either Mm -hmm. then actually these stories can can grow up which or or they can when when the thing happens when something happens it's maybe brought before a, a magistrate instead who's not necessarily got the same standing and perhaps you know there's a misun- the, My my instinct is there's a misunderstanding there somewhere and somebody gets away with something by saying something. Um, and um, I mean, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I think quite possibly the werewolf thing is, you know, child cruelty, something terrible happens to the child and they say, well, it was a wolf from the, but he was a bit like a man and he came into, you know, came and took our child. And actually it might cover a crime at uh, that very first instance. And, and perhaps the werewolf stories sort of, it became a convenient, a convenient um, excuse for people to say, um, that, "That that might not be the case." Of course, but it could be true. And the same. Like,
0: so you are talking to somebody's that's like paranormal. Remember. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah, me too. Obviously, <laughs> um, I, I I think I, I go down the route of it's more likely to be. Um, My my absolute stance is that things that are 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 not known, um, the 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 paranormal is just what's not not it's not normal to us because it's something we don't know about.
2: Yeah, totally.
1: It is known about, like you know, a UFO, unidentified flying object, until it lands or until we know what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Ultimately, lots and lots of things were unknown and therefore strange and and and. Frightening to people at times, um, until they were known. And I, I'm much more of a bent to find out, is there a human or a, a, a real reason? You know, not a real reason, that's the wrong thing to say. Is there a logical, in yeah. the real world, excuse or reason for this? Yeah. Um, and, and that's what I tend to look for. And, and with Robert Kirk going missing, and the thing about the werewolves, I'm more inclined to think that it's a real world thing that happens where it is missed by any authoritative body, and a story builds around it that is convenient for the people around the people who are to blame, or the people who are in the know. They build a story around it that um, gets them off the hook. That other people around them believe. Or, I mean, when you look at a lot of the fairy, a, a lot of fairy lore is about um, women who who seem to become. Uh, become a fairy after having given birth or whilst nursing, and they, they become a waxen image of themselves, um, and they maybe come back at some point and re-inhabit the body, but for a time they do that. Um, and you think, well, actually, there's a lot of women who go, go through childbirth and lose a lot of blood, or who will um, have a yes. sort of postnatal depression. There's lots of, in the real world, excuses or reasons for these things. They are, are excused in the old days before they understood. And the same about um so yeah childbirth is one of them nursing mothers uh, death and 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 things like comas or you know people becoming unconscious those sorts of things are sometimes explained i think through through fairies but then that seems at one end of the spectrum and then the the, the concept that UFOs are you know they're now saying that this is a thing these are things we could never have created mm-hmm. that's at the other end of the spectrum isn't it because that's he, here's some proof now how do we go back from that and find what did we miss as we were collecting science as we were as we were looking at these things what did we miss um that's where I think you're coming from the other end of that spectrum but... yeah yeah totally.
0: <laughs> and I'm, I'm I come for that in the spectrum because i I, I, I can follow it and stuff but I, I don't believe afrohana um a reader here, here, and i mean i do look at it and try and rationalize stuff and and try and look at a look at a more kind of logical explanation for it but when you've got things like that's coming out now and i wouldn't believe everything the u.s government say you know what i mean but at the same time there is a lot of stuff that's coming out now that's that is um that seems to be oh factual and it's a lot of other people the the, the kind of mad thing with as well Gone through some of the programs, quite a lot of the people who have been involved in the, they're, they're finding it quite a lot of the people who have been involved in the programs are all experiencers. So they've all had some type of experience with the phenomena, other than either at the same time as looking at it or through their kind of lifestyle, through their kind of lifetime and stuff. So there's quite a lot of interesting stuff there um, as well. But I mean, it's it's it's, it's a massive subject. I mean, there's, there's a lot in it. I mean, you could get lost in it. <laughs> I mean, but... Um, Robert
1: yeah. The third part of Robert Couch's book is quite interesting, I thought, because it, it, um, what he's doing there is what uh, Jacques Vallée is doing in um, his 1969 book. Mm-hmm. So Jacques Vallée is trying to build an argument that this has been ongoing back through the ages, yeah. um, and we've just been um, recording it in different ways that don't necessarily make it look like it's the same thing, but it is the same thing. Mm-hmm. And what Robert Couch does in that third section is he? He does the same thing. So he looks back over the ages from where he is, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of them are biblical re- references. Um, and and he talks about you know things that happen in the Bible, which yeah. are you know miraculous, or somebody appears here or uh, mm-hmm. disappears there. And, and you think, well, actually, you know, Valet didn't go back in far enough, perhaps, um, or or. Um, at what point is, is, is the Bible and religion re- related back to all of this as well?
0: Yeah,
1: You're totally. finding out that God is real.
0: That's the thing. I mean, you, you do get a lot of researchers looking in, look into that as well. And I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole um, thing on the History Channel with Ancient Aliens that goes right far back in that. And there's, there's loads of books in it now that, that go back and they're looking at all the biblical texts that when you, when you read it, it, it just looks like the experiences that people are still having and and things like that or there maybe like as in second sight and and abductions and, and all that kind of stuff and and some type of download coming into them so they're, they're they're understanding something a bit better or they're relaying information that they've got for somewhere else and there's all these type of things that's happened and that's still what's happening to this day and um, we're just recording it in a different mean I mean so it's it's, it's totally interesting um, it was a totally interesting conversation and I'm um, 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 thanks very much for, for coming on and I appreciate your time I mean coming on as well and um, what I thought I'll get um, any links in, in the show notes to um, any of your books and then when your, your book does come out Robert Kirk I mean sure and let us know, know I mean and I'll, I'll share it to all the, the paranormal people I know because I'm a little bit interested in it as well
1: thank you very much <laughs> you're welcome lovely to talk
0: to you so-